0: Ilchis Nachlis, the laws of inheritance, chapter four. This chapter contains eight Halochis dealing with the rules for establishing the identity of people who claim to be heirs to an estate and entitled to an inheritance. Haloch Aleph, Hoymer Zebni Oyze Ochi Ovi, if someone says concerning someone whose identity we do not know somebody testifies and says this person is my son or this is my brother or this is my father's brother or or he identifies that person as some other relative who would stand to inherit him if he died even though he made this statement concerning people of whom we have no prior idea or knowledge that they are related to him at all. Nevertheless, Harez and Neman, the person who made this claim, is believed, and when he dies, the Yiroshenu, the person whom he identified as a relative, will inherit him. And the reason that he is believed here, even though he's a single witness, is that if he wanted, he could give the property to this person as a gift while he's still living. And therefore, he is believed to say, let him inherit me when uh, after he is dead. And it does not matter whether he said this when he was healthy or, or he said it when he was sick and on his deathbed. Nevertheless, in either case, if he identified this person as a relative who stands to inherit him, he will inherit him. Even if he was unable to speak, because of Bixaviyoday and he wrote in his own hand, that this person is a relative who stands to inherit him, then we question him the same way we question to see if someone is competent to give a get, to see if he knows what he is writing, and if he is able to answer appropriately yes and no then we assume that we know what he is that he knows what he is writing and his testimony is believed shahu <laughs> ben if we had the assumption everybody knew that this particular person was somebody's brother or his cousin, the Omar, and now the relative said, no that is, we knew that a certain person was this person's brother, and now he says, that person is not my brother, no or he says, that person whom everybody thinks is my cousin is not my cousin, no he is not believed, and when he dies, that person will nevertheless stand to inherit him. However, on someone that everyone believes is his son, he is believed to say that that's not his son. This is not my son. And in such a case, the son will not inherit him. The Rambam says, it's my opinion. Even if this son had sons of his own. Even if this son had sons of his Even though, in such a case, concerning the legitimacy of the grandchildren, this uh, grandfather will not be believed to say, this son is not my son, but he is a a mamzer, when there are grandchildren who will in turn become mamzerim, even though he is not believed to to render his grandchildren illegitimate and forbidden to marry a Jewess, Never, and the son also is not believed to be a mamza because of the father's testimony. Nevertheless, Nehman, who, Yerusha, concerning the inheritance, the father is believed, and the son whom he has denied will not inherit the father. If someone said, Zebni, this person is my son and then later on he retracted his statement. the and he said, Avdi he is my slave. he is now not believed to render him a slave when he has once testified and said, This is my son. Omar Avdi, if he said this person is my slave, Omar and then he retracted it later and he said, It's my son. Even though we see that this person is serving him as a slave serves his master and performing the kinds of tasks that slaves perform, as we learned in Hilchis Avodim, nevertheless... Neman, he is believed to say, to change his his statement and say, "This is my son." Omar Avdi, because we say when he said originally, "This is my slave," he didn't mean that he's really a slave. What he meant was to say, "Kaloimar," his intention was to say, Lekevet," he treats me as if he were my slave. However, if he was known by a uh, name that applies only to a slave. Everyone called him, for instance, the hundred-zuz slave, a slave that's worth a hundred-zuz, or some similar such statement. Such statements, uh, such names, are specifically applied only to people who are really slaves. It's true that someone who is not a slave might be called a slave because he works like a slave. But they wouldn't call him a hundred-dollar slave unless he really were a slave. In such a case, if he later changes his statement and says it's my son, he is not believed. If he was passing by the internal revenue office where they impose a tax on people's property, the Omar, and he made a statement there at the tax office. He said, Huza, he said, This person is my son and later on he changed his statement and he told people, this is my slave, Nemon." in this case, unlike the case of Halocha Gimel, he is believed to say it's his slave, even though he previously said it's his son, Omar because he only said that it's my son in the tax office, not because he meant to say it's his son, but to cheat the tax people. He said it only for the purpose of avoiding the tax. If he said in the tax office, this is my slave, the and later on he changed his statement and said, it's my son, which in Haloch Gimel we said that he would be believed, but in this case, he's not believed, because he, since he made the statement in the tax office where it's going to cost him money to say this is his slave, therefore we say that he actually meant that it's his slave and he did not not mean any other statement by it. v'hashfochis Slaves, non-Jewish slaves, either male or female, ain't kodim lohem Abba ployni They should not be called by the name Abba, Father. Even though it's customary to call old people by the name Father, to call old people Abba even when it's not actually his father or uncle. Some in some places they call an old per, an older person uncle even when it's not really his uncle. But slaves should not be called by such names, the imaploinis, or to call a woman slave mother so and so or aunt so and so, shall in Hadovatakola, so that no stumbling block should come out of this, no mistake should be made. The Ninsa Zehabain Nivgum. And it will turn out that this one who would would have been thought to be the son now if he calls a slave father people might think well then he's indeed the son of this slave and therefore people will come to doubt the legitimacy of his ancestry. Therefore, if we're dealing with Slaves, male or female that were extremely expensive they were very specialized slaves and they are very well known everybody knows these slaves and everyone knows who they are and everybody knows who are the sons of the master here and who are the slaves for instance if we're dealing with the slaves of the prince In such a case, it's permitted to call them with the name father or mother because everybody will not make a mistake. Everybody knows, since it's the prince's family, everybody knows who is the slave and who are the children. Someone who had a non-Jewish female slave and he had through her a son. And he treated him as an actual son. Even though... According to law, it's not to be treated as his son. It's not his son if it's from a non-Jewish female slave. But he treated him as a son. That is, he dealt with him and took care of him as he would his own son. Or he made a statement and he said, B'nihu, this is my son. Uh, how could it be his son if the mother was a female slave? I had set his mother free before I had intercourse with her. In Talmud, Chacham who... In such a case, if the owner of the female slave is a Talmud Chochem, or it's a person who is known to be careful with his religious duties, and we have examined him and found that he is very particular with the performance of Mitzvah, then we believe him that this is his son, and the son will inherit him. The Afalpi Canaan, nevertheless, even though concerning the inheritance we believe him and this purported son can inherit him, nevertheless, we do not accept him as a Jew to marry a Jewish woman unless some definite proof can be brought that the mother had been set free before she gave birth. Because the known fact of previous. That, that was the fact that was previously known to us was that she was a shivcha, She was a slave. The reason that we're distinguishing here between a talmud chacham and one who is not a talmud chacham is that a talmud chacham is aware that the prohibition of having intercourse with a slave is a much stronger prohibition than the simple positive mitzvah that one has transgressed if one has intercourse with an ordinary woman to whom he is not married and therefore we can assume that if he had intercourse with her he indeed might very well have set her free first to avoid the stricter prohibition but an ordinary person who is not a Talmud chacham does not know the difference and therefore would have had no reason to set her free before he had intercourse with her and therefore we will not believe him even concerning the inheritance. And therefore, if he's an ordinary person and not a Talmud Chachem, And needless to say, if it was a person who is known to have illicit sexual intercourse with all sorts of women, Then the assumption is that he had not set the mother free and uh, the assumption is that the son that of this mother is a slave for all purposes uh, including inheritance The and his brothers from his father's side that is the legitimate sons of this father can sell him when they inherit him because he is in fact a slave however if there are no other sons the father had no sons except uh, uh, this one and then even so we assume that this is not a son either and the father's wife can marry the father's brother because it's assumed it's that he had died childless and this son is not considered to be a son at all. al And even though The Rambam says he cannot find any proof in the Talmud for this law. Nevertheless, the Rambam says that this is his opinion because this follows the rules of oral tradition. However, there are other poskim, the Rambam says, who has not distinguished between those who are Kalmidi Chachamim or others who are careful with Jewish law. And shara'am, and ordinary people, except that in the case of a Talmud Chacham, he's believed to the extent that when the father dies, the brothers cannot sell this person as a slave. But concerning the inheritance, uh, he is not believed. Others say just the opposite, that even concerning the inheritance, there is no distinction. Between, among Jews, and, and he's believed concerning the inheritance in every case, or he is not believed in every case. And the Rambam says one should not rely on any of these opinions in this case, only on the opinion that the Rambam has stated here at the beginning of the halacha. Halacha zayin, kol yorshim All who come to inherit, inherit under the assumption that they are whom everyone believes they are. For example, If witnesses testified that we know as an assumed fact, because everyone believes this to be true, that this person is the son of this and this person. Or he's the brother of this and this person. Even though these witnesses are not testifying... To the physical relationship here, they cannot testify that they physically know that this is the son or the brother of this and this person because they were not present at the moment of his birth and then had him under their observation for every moment since then to say that this is he and they are testifying only to the fact that everyone here says that that's who he is and they do not know the actual facts in the case nevertheless this is sufficient if it's assumed and everybody says and everybody knows that this is uh, this person's relative that's sufficient testimony for him to inherit if a father whose name, for example, was Yankiv, died, Ruvin and he left over two sons, Ruven and Shimon and no one knows about any other sons, everybody is under the impression that he has no sons other than these two, Reuben and Shimon Topas Levi Minhashuk. Then, if Reuben went ahead and took someone, some third person, Levi. Took him from a public place. He took him out from somewhere. The uh, Omar, and he said, Gamze, who." and Reuben claims that this Levi is also our brother. The and the other brother, the other definite brother, Shimon says, I don't know who he is. Indeed, it's possible that we had a third brother that I didn't know about. I can't state for sure, yes or no. In such a case, since the Chazoka, was that there were only these two brothers, and even though Shimon is not definitely disclaiming the claim that Levi is a brother here, nevertheless, Reuven's claim that Levi is also a brother cannot take away from Shimon's share. Shimon takes half, his full half share, or Ruven shlish. And Reuven then will take One third, which is the amount that is coming to him because of his claim that there is a third brother. So Reuven only gets one third. Because he agrees that there are three brothers and he's not entitled to more than a third. And the rest of the property after Reuven has taken a third and Shimon has taken half is one sixth. And so Levi takes one sixth. May Levi, if Levi died, Yagze Hashtus Leruvain, Ruvain will inherit that one-sixth. Why? Because since Shimon has taken his full share of the property, he has taken one-half as if Levi had not been there, therefore he is not entitled to any share of, Levy, of this property that Levi had inherited, even if Levi died with no children because Levi had taken his share only at Reuben's expense and not at Shimon's expense. If Levi inherited other property before he died, and then he died, Reuben and Shimon then will share that property when Levi dies childless. Why? Because even though Shimon had taken his full half of the property under the assumption that by his claim Levi may not be his brother. Nevertheless, since Reuven admits that Levi was a brother, therefore Reuven has to share with Shimon uh, Levi's property. If this one-sixth that Levi had inherited had increased in value and it increased automatically without anything being done on Levi's part to increase it, and then Levi died, who? If this, a tangible increase, to for instance, he inherited grapes that were unripe, and now the grapes have reached harvest time, and Levi died, There is a tangible increase in the grapes. This increase in the value of the grapes is like any other property that had accrued to Levi in the meanwhile, Bohem and Reuven and Shimon will divide it. If, however, there is no tangible increase in the grapes, the grapes have not yet reached harvest time, this is considered to be the very grapes that Levi had inherited in his sixth share, and therefore this comes to Reuven alone. Omar now, t- till now we've been sp- speaking about the case where Reuven claims that Levi is a brother and Shimon says he does not know what the facts are Omar Shimin. however if Shimon denied the claim entirely and he said Ain Levi ze za- ochi Levi, this Levi is not my brother. I know for sure that he is not one of my brothers. And in this case, Shimon took his full half share. And Levi took part of Ruven's share, as we have stated before. That is, Ruven took one, his one third. And Levi took only what was left over, one sixth. And now Levi died. Shimon cannot inherit anything from Levi, even Levi's other property, because Shimon denied outright that Levi was his brother. Reuven himself inherits the one-sixth of their father's property that Levi had taken, and all of the other property that Levi left over. And these same rules that we learned here in this halochiches applies to all other cases where people inherit, where some of them say admit that certain other people are also entitled to inherit, and others do not admit that these people are entitled to inherit. In other words, in other degrees of relationship besides sons of the deceased. The same rules will apply.